Well, it's nice to be here with all of you on the Sabbath day. Brethren, I don't know if you've been uh, watching the, or noticed anything different lately in the news. And what I mean by lately, I mean lately the last three or four or five years. Um, have you noticed anything different over the past few years that you've been seeing out in the world, in the news, in the United States? A lot, huh? I mean, I think back to when I was a kid, the news was actually pretty boring. Maybe it was because I was a kid not interested in the news, but, but it, was, it wasn't the same. The news was the news. People talked about what was happening. If there was some commentary, they argued points of disagreement, you know, position points. What I see now, it's really interesting to me. I mean, everywhere you turn, people are uh, really demonizing other people. They make fun of how they dress. They're calling them names, making fun of, you know. I've never seen on the news, newscasters calling their opponents just names. It's just really something else. Talk about, uh, you know, manners. We had a sermon one time we did on manners. Seems like people have lost their manners, right? I see violent protests now, more than I've seen before. Seems that we're protesting almost everything. I just learned this term last couple of years about trolling. See, I'm not that I'm not into Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, so I had to look it up what trolling is. But trolling is, you know, sending texts or posts online for the purpose of trying to draw someone out and getting them to to argue with you and and to get angry. And it just seems like overall the world is getting angrier, don't you think? I wanted to ask, why is everybody so mad? Doesn't it seem like just everybody's mad? They're angry about something? I was thinking back this this week as I was preparing for the sermon, and I was trying to remember the first time I... You know, I'm sure this isn't new. It's happened throughout human history. But in my life, the first time I remember really seeing like a mass violent protest was back in the 90s. You guys remember what I'm talking about? What happened back in the 90s in Los Angeles? The L.A. riots. Remember what started that whole thing, how it kicked it all off? It's interesting because nowadays we have all this stuff going on with the, the kneeling for the national anthem and everything. Uh, it has to do with you know, people are not happy about police brutality. Well, that was the, all started with Rodney King. Remember the police in L.A. pulled him over and they had that video? They didn't have iPhones back then where everybody had their video. They actually had a camcorder there, which was kind of new in 1992. And they, they, they videotaped the police, and they were, uh, when they arrested Rodney King, it was pretty violent. They had their police batons, and what happened is Rodney King was acquitted, or uh, the police were acquitted. And after that, we had all these, all these riots. Those riots went on for a long time. I was actually in China, just a 22-year-old kid. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I saw the, the riots in L.A. People were throwing bricks at each other. I think someone uh, shot 
there was someone shot on videotape in the middle of the street during the riots. I was pretty embarrassed for my country over there in China. But Rodney King, to his credit, I think, this is my opinion, and I saw some video online where he gave a speech calling for everybody in L.A. to stop the riots. And he had an expression, a famous quote. He's, he's quoted by saying, can't we just get along? Can't we all get along? Now, I saw an interesting thing 20 years later. Rodney King actually was, on, was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, and I was pretty impressed. He seemed like a really nice guy. He had it together. It was uh, actually kind of sad because he had died by an accident. He drowned in his pool about two weeks after the video, after the interview. But he seemed like a pretty good guy at that point. I don't know Rodney King, but... The quote, can't we all just get along, kind of stood out to me. With all this anger, everybody's upset about something. Why not? Why can't we ask? Why can't we all just get along? So that's, that's what I want to talk about today. What is causing us not to be able to get along anymore? Well, I put some thought into it. I, I, I thought of five causes, five things that I would propose to you for consideration that might be some of the root causes of what's happening in our culture, and if we're not um, in tune to it, and be caref- if we're not careful, brethren, in God's culture, yes, in the church, with us personally, these five things can really get us off track of where we want to go with our walk with Christ. So the first thing, I want to go through these five things, these five causes. The first one is called vanity of belief. Vanity of belief. So what is that? What do I mean? Vanity of belief, and this is something that I I see. There's this phenomenon happening happening where everybody is getting into their own groups, and they stay in their own groups. They don't want to talk to the opposite side. They don't want opposing views. And look, we're all guilty of it. Well, maybe, I I don't know, maybe you're not. I'm guilty of it, that's what I can say. I can say I'm guilty of it. I do it. I'm much more comfortable hanging out with you here at the church because we have, you know, we share similar thoughts, similar values. It's natural. When I'm interacting with someone that doesn't share my values, it's a little bit more uncomfortable, right? Right? But, but I also see something more. There's a different driver. There is this thing where nowadays we can't talk to people we disagree with. I have an aunt who lives out of state. I love my aunt. But, uh, you know, 10 years ago we used to get into these really good arguments. Now we don't talk about anything politics. You know, we have talk about other stuff. We can't talk about it. It's too emotional. I don't know if that's happened to you. But I actually think that one of the drivers behind that is vanity of belief. So what is it? It's a certainty, brethren, that my beliefs are 100% right. 
Have you seen maybe a trend where people are just starting to believe more and more that their personal beliefs are 100% right? So the thing is, if I believe that my beliefs are 100% right and your beliefs are different, then your beliefs are 100% wrong. The opposite is, all right, I have my beliefs, I know what my beliefs are, but I know that I don't know everything. Maybe you might be right. Even to a small degree. At least that opens a window for me to want to listen. And maybe I can learn something from you. But if I believe I'm 100% right, and I'm sure of it, I'm certain of it, why bother talking to you? You're obviously wrong. A waste of time. The problem is that when you believe that, brethren, the next step is if I believe I'm 100% right, most people think they're a good person too. Well, then I'm 100% good. And if you're 100% wrong, then you must be 100% bad. And if I actually talk to you and maybe compromise, now I'm compromising with bad or evil. Is that possible? Can you see some of that? People aren't saying, I'm right and you're left. They're saying, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm good and you're bad. I see a lot of that nowadays. Maybe it's the other way around. I'm left and you're right. No, you're wrong. You're evil. You're bad. When we get to that point, brethren, there's no more discussion and debate. Why should I even bother talking to you? I'm going to go talk to the people that are right with me. Believe what I believe. I'll be happy. You talk to people that are right with you, believe what you believe, and we don't have to, we don't have to learn from each other. Vanity of belief. Now, the question is, are we in this church, in God's church, potentially you know, subject to that type of thinking? Now think about it. How strongly do we believe what we believe? And how sure are we of it? Now you could say, Dave, well, come on. Are you saying we shouldn't have faith? We shouldn't believe in God's word? It's not what I'm saying at all. Let's go to some scriptures. I want to I challenge this a little bit. Get us thinking about this concept of vanity of belief. And how if we... If we're not careful, brethren, it could really, really be a toxic type of attitude that could affect our relationships, our growth, everything. So Ephesians, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Go over to Ephesians. You might say, Dave... You know, doesn't the Bible say that we should avoid bad people? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not, or be ye therefore, part, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Doesn't this say that the Bible's saying, don't, don't go mess with those people if they're bad? It seems to say that, if you just look at those two scriptures, 
But what about Jesus? You know, Jesus was accused of being the friend of sinners. Did Jesus only hang out with the people that agreed with him? Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. The Pharisees, Jesus' critics, called him a friend of sinners. Let's, keep, let's go back and read all of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll go back to verse 1. The Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, Be ye therefore follower, followers of God as dear children and walk in love. That's our first clue of what Paul's really getting at. Walk in love. As Christ also with hath loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So what does Paul say that we should avoid? Avoid people or avoid behavior? When I read this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he says, walk in love. Don't do these bad things. Don't say these bad things. It's directed at us personally of how we should behave. That's what we are to separate ourselves from. Continue reading. Then we say, verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. Or, you know, don't let people try to deceive you to make you think that these things are okay. For because of these things, because of all that covetousness, you know, bad behavior, comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with what? Those bad behaviors. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, again, live your life as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful people, no, with unfruitful works of darkness. That's what it says. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So, as I read this, brethren, it becomes clear to me, at least, that what Paul is getting is that we want to separate ourselves from unfruitful behavior. But as Jesus did, not to separate himself from people that we disagree with. Even people that are doing some bad things, that are sinners. After all, brethren, you know, sure, none of us in here are sinners, right? Imagine if Jesus said, I don't want to hang out with sinners. He's not going to hang out with us. Because <laughs> all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, brethren. The Bible says that our righteousness is like a filthy rag next to God's righteousness. I think that was in Isaiah. 
Now let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I asked a question, how sure are you about your beliefs? Are you 100% certain that everything you believe is right? You know, when I was 25 and I first started coming to the church, I was thinking about this. Boy, I really knew a lot. Now that I'm 48, I'll tell you, I question, I, I feel pretty stupid. What happened? Did I forget all this stuff? I mean, really, honestly, when I think back to 25 years old, I really thought I had it all figured out. I knew what I believed, I was right. I knew who were good people, who were bad people. If you told me, if you asked me at 25 how you should be keeping the Sabbath, I had an answer. You ask me right now how you should be keeping the Sabbath, I say that's between you and God. Really, that's between you and God, not you and me. How you keep the Sabbath, God knows your heart. I don't know your heart. So that's the difference. At 25, I thought I knew your heart. Now I know I don't. There's a lot I don't know. See, I think that's what happened. God has, through a miracle, been revealing truth to me, the truth that I don't know very much. That's why I don't judge what you do. I really, something that's happened to me over the past few years, people ask me sometimes, now that I, sometimes I give sermons, they'll ask me questions about if they should do a certain thing, how they should keep the days of unleavened bread. And trust me, people, brethren, people have opinions. Some people have strong opinions about these types of things to the point where I'm thinking, wow, they're 100% certain that what they say to do is exactly what you need to do, and if you don't do it, you're 100% wrong. I just say for me, I'm not going to go there because I don't know for sure. That's between you and God. Of course, that's happening in the world. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul here reveals a truth about us that I think is very good to keep in mind as we start to ask ourselves or start to think that we might know too much. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. And this is after Paul had the Holy Spirit. For now, in this life, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, and I understand that this is when Jesus comes and we're we're transformed into spirit, and we'll see him. He says, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. In other words, that's when the truth will really see clearly. But for now... 
I take this to say, no matter how much I think I have it figured out, brethren, I still see through a glass darkly. So anyway, vanity of our beliefs. That actually keeps me in check a little bit to say, hey, if you disagree with me, let's talk. Maybe I can learn something. Why can't we all get along if people actually decided that maybe they didn't know everything? Both sides? Maybe they'd start talking and exchanging ideas and finding some common ground and maybe start getting, start to get along, along a little bit better. Is that possible? So I think one of those things, brethren, that we might look to of why people are having a hard time getting along is vanity of belief. Beware of it, brethren. Stay humble. Realize that we don't know everything. We're constantly learning. Remember that we're sinners and we shouldn't be judging each other. You know, God says, work out your own salvation with trembling and fear. That it's between us and him, not between me and you. Okay, number two. The number two thing I propose or cause of why we can't get along, I'm going to call vain prosperity. Vain prosperity. Turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is interesting. After God has been giving Israel, ancient Israel, all of this great revealed knowledge, how to live their lives, how to have good, happy, wonderful lives, talks about all the great blessings he's going to give them if they keep his commandments, Then he says here in verse 8 something very interesting. Or I'm sorry, in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, verse 11. Beware. Beware of this. Beware that you forget not the Lord your God and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full, in other words, after he gives us all these blessings, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein. Brethren, I'll say in this country, I travel all around the world. I just came back from China last month and I went out and visited some farms. And I'll tell you, brethren, most of the poorest places in this country have a higher standard of living than many of the people I saw in China out in the country there. Relatively speaking, I would say most of us have pretty good homes. We're pretty blessed in this country. Lest when you have eaten and are full, I don't know, I don't see too many of us starving out here. Good houses, great blessings, and dwell therein. And when your hands and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. This is the vanity part, vain prosperity. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. In other words, you forget that it's God who provided us all of these blessings. We start to think that we did it who led you through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought. 
for there was no water who brought you forth um, out of the rock of flint, who fed you in the wilderness with man. In other words, God sustained them and he sustains us. Everything we have, we owe to God. He says, verse 17, if you forget him, forget that he did this, and you say in your heart, my power and my might, or the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth. That, to me, is a humbling statement. For it is God that gives us power to get wealth. Everything that we have comes from God and His power. We are nothing without Him. Even if you don't believe in God, brethren, you're nothing without Him because God gave us life. Everyone, believers and non-believers. Without God, we wouldn't exist. He's the Creator. Vain prosperity. So how does this cause us to have problems getting along? Well, it's about unhealthy expectations, brethren. We get comfortable in our blessings. We forget. We're not humble. We start to expect. Think of it back in 1970s, living in Berlin. There were families that were torn apart. Half of your family, imagine half of your family right now living on that side of the wall, the other half on this side. There were families that wouldn't be able to talk to each other for 50 years. That's terrible. Nowadays, if the internet's down too long in a, in a community, you get on Facebook and you start to see a bunch of texts about how horrible and how evil the internet company is. We complain about little tiny things. Is that because of our unhealthy expectations? Things are so good now in this country that if it's not perfect, we got all angry and upset. That, to me, is a source of vain prosperity, right? Things are so good, it's all about me. It kind of goes to the next topic, brethren. It's cousin, entitlement. I'm entitled to this. These are my expectations. If I don't get these met, I'm mad. Feeling of entitlement, number three. Cause number three of why, brethren, it's so hard nowadays to get along. I want to share a story when I was in the military. I know you guys are probably sick of me talking about the military. But uh, it's me. It's who I am. It's part of what I think about when I put these messages together. But I was in the military. I just got to a unit. I was just in the, in the military. And I thought it'd be kind of cool. I was working on a, uh, an engine. Um, part of my job, I was a technician for missile system, and I was working on an engine with my boss. And I thought I'd kind of warm up to my boss a little bit, try to, he was talking to me, he was getting a little bit more casual. And I started complaining about our CO. I was doing work with gunnery sergeant, I won't say his name, but I was starting to complain a little bit about the CO and about our unit, and you know, I thought that he would start complaining with me. Oh boy, was I wrong. <laughs> he stopped me dead in my tracks, and I remember this to the day. We were having this nice, happy 
joking around conversation, and instantly he stopped. He turned. It was like a different person. And he said, Rusinko, the Marine Corps owes you nothing except that paycheck. Yes, Gunny. What a wake-up call. The world didn't owe me anything. I signed a contract. I give you my life every minute of the day, scrubbing toilets, crawling through a, you know, a, a, a swamp, standing at duty, whatever you want, Marine Corps, you just give me a paycheck. That was the deal. He reminded me of that. That was when I learned about entitlement. I was not entitled. I had to work. Brethren, is it fair to say maybe in this country with this great blessing, we've had some great blessings for such a long time that maybe people are starting to feel a little entitled? And that could be a cause for why we're so angry all the time if we don't get our way. Turn with me to John chapter, well, I'll just read a couple verses first. John chapter 1, Jesus says, or uh, we're told, all things were made by him, talking about Jesus, and without him was nothing, was not anything made that was made. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven. In other words, we're not entitled to anything. It's all God's. It's all Jesus's. He made it all, and he has all the power. We exist at his pleasure, brethren. He gave us life. Now turn with me back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verse 18. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he takes under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God has given riches and wealth and has given him power to eat, even our power to eat, brethren, and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Everything that we have is a gift. We didn't earn our life. I didn't give myself life. I didn't make me. Thank God I'm here. I love my life, but I owe it to God. I should not feel entitled for anything. Just be grateful for everything. You want to talk about the, the, the key to happiness, brethren? It starts there. We're unhappy when we don't get our expectations met. If we're just grateful for every little blessing we have, our expectations are met all the time because we don't expect anything. We realize every day is a gift. How many of us are sure, 100%, that we'll all be here tomorrow? I don't know if you think about that. I travel a lot in my job, and trust me, when I get in that airplane, I say a prayer because, you know, 
God forbid, I hope, you know, I pray that God puts his angels around us all, everywhere we go. But things happen. We just had this knowledge of uh, Chloe. It was Chloe down in Cincinnati. Out of the blue. Tomorrow is not promised to us, brethren. Every morning when we wake up, thank God for another day of life that is a gift that he gave us. Why are we going to be upset if we don't get our way? If the internet's down? <laughs> Come on. Romans chapter, chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. How many of us have sinned? We deserve to die. That's our entitlement. Our entitlement is to die. Because we've sinned. Thank God. God, that he sent Jesus Christ, the word, to become a man and live a perfect life and die for us and pay that penalty. Our life, the opportunity for eternal life is a gift from Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. I think, brethren, just realizing that everything we have is a blessing, is a gift. It's not of our own work. It's all at the, at the mercy and the love of God. Maybe that would help us not to have this vain entitlement, this unhealthy entitlement that is causing us to be so angry or discontent. Hebrews chapter 13, Let your conversation, brethren, let your way, let how you live your lives be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a promise. What a wonderful promise. So that was number three. Number four, brethren, of why people might have a hard time getting along is it seems today that people are so easily offended, doesn't it? I remember one time I was coming out of, walking out of, college. I was a freshman up at Northwestern University, and I was wearing an Indian's hat, Cleveland Indians. And on the hat was the mascot, Chief Wahoo. And I was just minding my own business. I'm walking out of class, whatever. I'm getting ready to go, go to another class, and a student walks by. Your hat offends me. Now, at 25 years old, when I knew it all, I just said, well, don't look at it. <laughs> A hat. Could you imagine? Someone's clothing offends you emotionally where you're going to call them out? All this stuff I see in the news, people are offended, brethren. They're offended. What offends you? On a scale of one to ten, you know they have this hurt thing, this pain. Go to the doctor. What's your pain on a scale of 1 to 10? I never know how to answer it because I don't know how, what other people's pain threshold is. I don't want to sound like a wimp, say it's a 9, because what if this little kid said, you know. But they have this pain scale. What is your offense scale? Are you a 9? Like, like you're never offended by anything? Or are you a 1? Like... 
Everywhere you go, people are offending you. Man, I can't believe that. It's so offensive. I can't believe what that guy just did. Did you hear what he just said to me? Oh, look at those kids. They don't behave. You know, whatever. What offends you? And what's your scale of offense? It seems to me, just as my view, and maybe, maybe it's not that way. It's always been like this, and I'm just getting older, and I'm not saying I'm old, but um, I don't know, brethren. Does it seem like people are getting more offended nowadays? What is the psychology behind being offended? I looked this up. This was from Psychology Today. There's an article in Psychology Today. Title of the article was Out of Darkness, The Science of Post-Traumatic Growth by Steve Taylor. I'm just going to give a quote. Psychologists call slights, slights, being slighted, narcissistic injuries. In other words, bruises to your ego. So your pain scale, your, your offense scale is correlated to your ego scale. The higher your ego, the lower your offense tolerance. Narcissistic injuries. They bruise our egos. They make us feel belittled. Ultimately, all types of slights boil down to the same basic feeling. A feeling of being devalued or disrespected. Disrespected. Ego. What does the Bible say about being offenses? Being offensive. Jesus said, Woe to offenses. We're told offenses will come. Second Timothy, go ahead and turn with me to Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. In other words, there's going to be some pretty big egos in the last days. Covetous, boosters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. We just talked about that. Unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, heady is ego, high-minded, lovers of, ple- lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, in other words, believing that they're righteous, believing that they're 100% right, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So, the Apostle Paul is telling us and telling Timothy that in the last days, people are going to have some pretty high egos. John says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In other words, how can we start to... Actually, I want to stop there. Go back. I want to share a quote from Abraham Lincoln. I really love this quote. We should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it. I just like that quote. So how can we make sure we, as God's people, have a high tolerance for offense or for offenses? One is get 
your focus off of yourself. Quit being so self-centered. That's it. You know, if you hear yourself saying, well, they didn't like my idea, or she was rude to me, or that person doesn't respect me, nobody asked my opinion, and consider my work, what's the common denominator here? Me, 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 me. Me. If we're starting to think a lot about me, maybe you're going to be offended <laughs> a lot. Because trust me, brethren, kind of a natural tendency, the other people, they're not thinking of you, they're thinking of them too. We can't control what everybody else uh, thinks, but we can control what we think. So the first way to stop being so easily offended is get the focus off of yourself. Put focus on somebody else. If you're offended, take a step back and ask yourself, am I focusing on what I'm not getting or should I you know, maybe try to put myself in their shoes? Try to see it from their perspective. 1 Corinthians, charity suffers long. Yes, it's going to be a suffering. <laughs> You'll have to suffer, but we're Christians, brother, and it comes with the territory. Charity suffers long, meaning it's patient. It's kind. Charity doesn't envy. It doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. Don't be selfish, brother, and be unselfish. That's the first step. The Apostle Paul humbled himself. He said in 2 Corinthians, my, he was uh, talking about this thorn in his side. And Paul admitted that God had said unto him, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take no pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, the Apostle Paul realized that it wasn't about him, it was about Christ's work and Christ in him. If you want to increase your offense threshold, take criticism positively. Be humble. Think big picture. Realize that there's a lot more to this life than this situation. It's about us reflecting Jesus' character and bringing more people into God's family so that we could all be together in the millennium. That's the big picture, brethren. If you're offended, take a step back and think about the millennium and why you're here, because that's it. Maybe we can avoid being offended. Okay, brother, number five. The number five cause that I'd like to propose of why people are having a hard time getting along, an unloving heart. An unloving heart. And this, brethren, is really sad sometimes when you see what's going on in the world because it reveals what's inside of people. Hopefully, we don't have bad inside of our heart. Hopefully, we have good in our heart. This whole thing with social media, trolling, 
Let me ask you a question. Someone who posts a really bad comment on Facebook, if they got... Let me me give you a little different scenario. How many of you have been guilty of maybe saying something to somebody you shouldn't have when you're in the car driving? Okay, now imagine you're not in the car anymore. You're on the street talking to the person face-to-face. Would you say it the same way? Okay, face-to-face. You're going to grow up tomorrow. Ah, no, probably not. What's the difference? Well, because if you go up face-to-face and you do that, he might punch you, right? There's something inside of us that if we can get away with it, the truth comes out. When there's consequence, that holds us back, brethren. That's one thing that became very clear to me during that L.A. riot. That was the first time in my life I realized what's really in many people's hearts. When I saw there's a riot and I saw looting and all this bad stuff and I said to myself, wow, I didn't didn't understand how many people um, avoid breaking the law um, purely out of the fear of getting caught. When there's no more chance that they're going to get caught, look at what people will do. That's, that was a big wake-up call for me. An unloving heart. Brethren, why are people getting so crazy with all of these posts and negativeness and trolling and everything else? Well, because when we're on the Internet and we're anonymous... There's no consequences. No one's going to come and punch us in the face. Say whatever we want. It's like the, what's really in here comes out. There's no filter anymore. So all this technology, all this internet stuff, you're seeing all this stuff come out. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Let's go over here. Matthew chapter 15. Jesus had quite a bit to say about this concept. Matthew chapter 15. You see people being mean-spirited brethren, saying things, posting things. What you're really seeing is what's in their heart. Matthew chapter 15, verse 2. Why do thy disciples... so the Pharisees challenged Jesus. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? The tradition of the elders. Not the law, not God's commandments, but the tradition of the elders. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. They weren't doing all the rituals. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? They probably didn't understand what he's talking about because they thought, I bet these Pharisees were 100% right that they were right. Or 100% certain. But Jesus turned it around. Why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses father and mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift. 
by whatsoever thou, thou mightest be profited by me. In other words, I think he, Jesus is implying that maybe these Pharisees were, instead of taking care of their father and mother, were just giving tithes and uh, justifying it by saying it was a gift um, but, uh, and leaving his mother and father neglected. Um, he says, And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites! Well did Elijah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws near unto me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus is saying to me here in the scripture that keeping his commandments and worshiping him is not about what we do, it's about what's in our heart. It's about what's in our heart. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Some people try to make this out to talk about clean and unclean foods. I'm not going to go there, but clearly he's talking about the washing of hands. They were talking about maybe some uncleanness on their hands. Jesus is saying is that going into your mouth is not going to defile you. It's what comes out that defiles you. The disciples didn't get it. His disciples said unto him, Know you that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? He answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And Peter answered and said, Declare what this means. I don't get it. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do not you yet understand that whatsoever enters in at the mouth that's physical goes into the belly and is cast out in the drought or whatever? But those things which proceeds out of the mouth, in other words, words, texts, posts, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. Jesus is saying that when you see some of this terrible, mean-spirited stuff going on, what you're really seeing is what's in that person's heart. That's what you're seeing. So what do those who challenge us in our way your friends, your family, your co-workers that know you're keeping God's commandments, take off holy days. You claim to be Christians. We claim to be Christians. What do they see coming out of your heart? It's a good question. What do people see coming out of my heart? We're in the, we're in the Feast of Weeks. We're, we're continuing this holy day season. It's not, a, it's not like Passover, then we're out of holy day season, and then we're in Pentecost. This is the Feast of Weeks. It represents our lives and how we're progressing now that we've repented and accepted Jesus. 
as our Savior? Are we making ourselves more like Him? Because if we are, it's about what's in the heart, brethren. And is there evidence of what people see when we talk and interact and speak and how we live our lives? We should be the ones who are getting along. You could read about the Beatitudes, brethren. Talk a lot about what type of things people should see of us that would indicate that our hearts are right. Matthew chapter 5, talking about loving your neighbor and loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. If we're loving those that despitefully use us, those that are difficult, those that don't agree with us politically or whatever, the Apostle Paul says, I become all things to all people to win a few. That's what we should be doing. Finding common ground. Being kind and gentle. Open-minded. Willing to learn from everybody. Being humble, knowing that we never know it all. We see through a glass darkly. We still have a lot to learn, brethren. Not judging each other if we don't think that they're doing things just right. Because who knows, maybe we're the ones that aren't doing them just right. Maybe we can learn. Proverbs chapter 15, a soft answer turns away wrath. Verse 16, verse 24 of Proverbs. Pleasant words are as honeycomb, sweet to the soul and heals to the bo- and health to the bones. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know who, how you ought to answer every man. The Apostle Paul says, if it be at all possible, get along with everybody. If it's even remotely possible, get along. Live peaceably with all men. I started the sermon by asking and referring to Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Brethren, there's five things that I went through that I proposed that are the barriers to why we can't get along. We can't control what other people do, but we can control what we do. Be mindful, be careful of vanity of belief. Stay humble, brethren. Watch out for prosperity. Don't get complacent. Don't have unhealthy expectations. Be grateful of what you have. Look at every day as a gift. Don't be entitled. Be careful of not feeling entitled. Work to make your offense scale a one or a zero. If you start finding yourself being offended all the time, please let that be a a wake-up call, an indicator to say, hey, maybe I've got to take a step back and look at myself. Am I being too self-centered here? Am I being ungrateful? Am I not content? And most importantly, brethren, if you catch yourself being irritable, mad, mean-spirited toward people, Let that be some evidence to take a look at of, hey, is my heart right? What's going on in here? Maybe I need to spend more time in the prayer closet with Jesus. Read. Because that's what it is, brethren. What comes out of our mouths is basically a reflection of what's in our heart. Choose not to be offended. It's a choice, brethren. Nobody can offend us. 
we can only let ourselves be offended. That's it. Be slow to anger. Be kind, patient. Let God's Spirit thrive inside of you. Live the fruits of the Spirit. Live peaceably. Do these things, brethren. Stay close to Christ. Try to reflect Him in your life. Be unselfish. Be happy. Be joyful. And you will be a blessing to everybody around you. And if you're doing that, brethren, then you'll be doing a small part, maybe, to help us all just get along.